This is the Relevant Podcast. It's episode 1,125, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, he's back, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. What's good? And just down the road there, our managing editor, downtown Emily Brown. Hey, y'all. Uh, Marty is on assignment this week, so he'll be missing. Mm. Okay. Guys, it feels like it feels like months since we've spoken because I missed a week. I rarely miss a week, and it feels like you know no, no, it's no. been a while. Not since rarely. We Hold up. on, rarely. I was doing the math, dude. I've missed it. I've been on sabbaticals, whatever. I cannot think of any episode you've missed since you joined the show from Virginia. You had a little three month break in like 2008, <laughs> but like, have you missed an episode? I, I, I don't think so. You call recorded... in from family vacations. You've had the flu. You've had COVID. You did it. I mean, you... I, I called in one morning from like 430 in the morning in L.A. One morning. At I remember hotel. that one. Yeah. So it was extraordinary. And I'll say this. I will say this. It was the best episodes I've ever heard last week. That <laughs> Ratings through the roof. I appreciate you guys having me back out of sympathy. It was weird because <laughs> like I for 15 years, 18 years have just I'm on autopilot with. Mm-hmm. certain introductions and segues and whatever. And there was a few times I was like, oh, it's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? Uh, uh, what do you have, yeah. Emily? It was very mm-hmm. strange. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be back. Um, and it was a very busy week. We had, I had some, some family stuff going on unexpectedly. It was a memorial service for, for a family member on, on our normal recording day. Then we're going to punt it to the next day. But I had a long term, I had a trip to Bush Gardens because they do Christmas town up there <laughs> planned. Bush Gardens. And pretty serious. Bush Gardens. We got booted for Bush okay. Gardens. Listen, we bought the t- Chris. Okay. In, in Virginia, Bush Gardens Williamsburg is a big deal. This is what we got. Okay. Oh. Like there, there isn't Disney or Six Flags. We have, Bush Gardens, okay, Aww. and it's hold on, question. It's in Colonial Williamsburg, it's Colonial yeah. Williamsburg Bush Gardens. So the Bush Gardens we have in, in Florida is safari themed and things like that. Not uh, ours. Is it? Is it like themed like old timey seventeen hundreds? Like people <laughs> it's, it's, are churning butter and stuff at that Bush Garden. It's, no, it's themed like I would say like turn of the century, like eighteenth to nineteenth century Europe. Mm. So you go from country to country. So like, like you Epcot? go to like. Then, um, but more Colonial Williamsburg allies <laughs> than more Budweiser. Allies. Like there's Clydesdales and stuff. You know what I mean? Got it. Um, so a colonial. Do so you go to like? Yeah, so you go to like old timey Germany, and then you go to old timey Italy, and then you go to old timey France. It's fun. I've been going there since I'm a kid. But here's the revelation I had. <laughs> going to going to Bush Gardens because I have my son's ten, and we, we we went with two other families, and all the kids and most of the adults want to go on all the roller coasters. Because I'll say this about Bush Gardens: you may not like kind of like the corny, um, you know, thematic areas of the park or whatever, which is fair. Like I said, this is a park owned by Anheuser Busch, so it's it's a lot of beer themed stuff. You know, there's a beer train. There's uh, uh, like I said, the Clydesdales are a big part. 
Why did the, the tune one thing for is, love train just pop in my head, but the word beer replaced love? <laughs> the beer train. Yeah, it's crazy. not that dissimilar. <laughs> 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 but I will say this. Bush Gardens has like world-class roller coasters. Oh, yeah. And they build like a new mm-hmm. one every year. Yeah. I've made, I've made, and, and, and everyone wanted to go, okay? But I ate a giant dinner. I had the sausage sampler at the Fest House in Germany, okay? So, I got a <laughs> belly full of sausage, all right? And everyone wants to afterward go on. <laughs> and, and, and and mind you, this is amusement park sausages, okay? Also, you get motion sick in certain So, more questionable cars. than normal sausage. It was it was not it was not the safest choice because it's like six different <laughs> amusement park sausages. And I was starving. So, I woofed it down. So, I got a, a, a belly full of sausage and some German, you know, vinegarized. Theme park sausage. Yeah, yeah. 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 Theme park sausage Quotes with some like sausage, pickled... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like whatever like pickled vegetables they mm. eat in Germany. And, oh, gosh. and I ate a giant mm. plate of it. Mm. Oh gosh. And they all want to go on mm. like roller coasters called like Alpengeist and Pantheon and Verbolten. Here's what I've realized, guys. Roller coasters these days, they go way too fast, man. Like these things, <laughs> like Cameron and I went to space camp years ago and we went in that we went on all that stuff that you that like astronauts train on. Dude, these roller coasters, they strap you to the seat and it is like, I mean, you are bolted yeah. into this thing yeah. and it is a rocket ship, like zero to 75 miles an hour instantly. Mm. And it just doesn't stop. You're, you're whipping around. You don't even know what's happening. Mm. Like it, it's going so fast. You, you're not seeing anything. There's no suspense. It is just like three, two, and whipping, whipping and spinning and corkscrewing and flipping. Who's enjoying this? It's way too fast. Like, you, I just figured out the line between youth and old people. That if you enjoy the roller yeah. coaster, you literally just said the roller coaster is nothing too to fast. enjoy. That's not oh, true. I've been, I've been I've been old for a long time. Then I've been old. I was, I've been old since I was like thirteen. Derek, you get it because there was there was <laughs> never a time that I could think that just getting on a contraption that spit me in circles. At 70 miles per it. hour just was never appealing. Uh, but but at least it. in old school roller coasters, there was a click, 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 like, you know, and, and then it kind of had little yeah. areas where you pause and you're like, and you're like, basically old school roller coasters, you're like on like a train with like a bar right. across your waist and you're just kind of right. going fast. And with, these things are like hydraulic uh-huh. powered. Yeah. You can't even see what's happening. It's like all it is, is your head is thrown back into the seat. My thing is, make roller coasters great again, guys. Like, <laughs> give, me, give me one of those rickety. I want one of those rickety wooden ones. Is this a ones. platform for the common sense party? I want one of those rickety old ones. No. You know? Where you, the biggest fear, the biggest fear isn't like, I'm going to have neurological damage. Because those were real thrills. Those are, those are. There has to be a happy medium. Because I don't no, want to no, no. be thinking that out. it's going to collapse on me. But I do agree. I don't want it to be too fast. Hear me out. The thrills on modern roller coasters not going to break. You feel like scientists made this thing, okay? You feel like this was engineered I, by Space Force. I do think the engineers is, did help make the, roller the, coasters. Oh, I do want to really put that out so. there. I think that's a yeah, thing. But, but here's so the thing: the thrill. Carnies that just was like, yo, this is. It's funny you say that, Derek. It's funny you say that because here's the thing: when I when I'm on when I'm on like Bush Gardens like Pantheon, which is you can you can look at it online. 
the thrill is like what it's doing to the human body. Just, you know, this kind of like throw me back against the sea. When I'm on an old Carney construct and I know they're going to be out of town the next morning, yeah. like rain or shine. Yeah. If there's an accident tonight, these guys are gone. Never seeing them again. These people are living off right. the book, right? They're right. off the grid. <laughs> The thrill is real. Like the thrill is, I'm going to be maimed or die. If, yeah, when if you one crest, come. when you crest that, you're like, that's that, a thrill. This may be a plummet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a thrill. Like every every little creek, which there are a lot, yeah, is, a lot. it's probably breaking. It's breaking ten percent more every ride. That's not a that's not a thrill. That's playing with your life. Is what that is. We have a, exactly. a little it's kind way of more fun mini like a a theme park called Fun Spot. That's not theme park. It's kind of like a permanent. Uh, carnival uh-huh. i guess and they have like go-karts and they have roller coasters and they're trying to like add and add and add and it's the old school model of like you don't pay entry you you buy tickets for each individual ride you know so they have they added an old wooden roller coaster they have the modern ones yeah. you know the flying around they added old i went on it last year with cohen it's not as enjoyable as you remember just in the sense of like how rough it is like i think we've forgotten like the roller coasters now are so smooth We've forgotten that it's like literally like you're bouncing and your spine is just getting shattered. The entire ride is just every every little lumber on the ground, guys. How about that? Sounds like a good idea to me. (laughs) Yeah. Stay on the ground. There was. Well, I don't know, because then you got to be with all the questionable sausages, because like, what else are you doing if you're not? (laughs) But but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The questionable. But it's your, Emily, listen, the questionable sausages were fine in a vacuum, in a questionable sausage were vacuum. They, were it they really just about it? It wasn't what I, what I, it wasn't until I tested them at, you know, 80 mile an hour flips that I came to question. Like when I was just sitting there You're in the moments the after, sausages. I was like, you know, again, maybe this is it was more this, the questionable sausage finally was digesting, and your body was like, "Oh, maybe we shouldn't have ate that." Trust me, it wasn't digesting. It was my whole <laughs> system was upended. It stopped shutting down properly. Yeah, exactly. Jesse, you know, you're not alone in your love for wooden classic roller coasters. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, the we had a theme park here in Central Florida called Boardwalk and Baseball back in the '80s. And it was That's like, awesome. <laughs> it was, it was baseball themed and roller coaster themed, you know, old boardwalks and they yeah. had American the world's classics. largest, world's largest wooden roller coaster. And I remember as a little, little kid going on this thing, huge, terrifying, you know, whatever, big roller coaster. Anyway, boardwalk and baseball shuts down and they have to sell off all the rides. Who buys the world's largest wooden roller coaster? Michael Jackson. And he installed it at his Neverland ranch. So mm. he and Macaulay Culkin could go ride chill it. Chill out, bro. Ch- chill, chill that, out, Cameron. He loved that roller bro, coaster. It's true. Chill out, Cameron. Can I be bro? honest? You're doing too much it's right true, now. Man. You got to chill out. Listen, there's a lot. You got to have things to, to attract the little bro, boys bro, to your out, property. Delete. You get the world's largest. Delete. delete. Listen, there's saying. a lot to unpack with that story, but I just want to say, I feel like it's far safer. You and Michael Jackson love wooden roller coasters. That's all I'm saying. It's far safer in my mind. I don't see how it's not safer just to build a wooden roller coaster from tra- from scratch than try to disassemble and reassemble one. And yeah, like, move it across it, the country. It's so yeah, weird. It, yeah, exactly. It's just limber. It's just lumber at that point. Do y'all remember like the wooden playgrounds that were like huge oh, in like yeah. the nineties and stuff? Oh, yeah. I feel like I never splinters. see them anymore because like, of they splinters. tore them all down. Okay. Yeah. A couple splinters. It's fine. Like it builds well, character. No, it's, I love it's wooden playgrounds because uh, the ones now are all like plastic and, and metal, right? I mean, so that's like and indestructible, ugly. and the wood ones rot and splinter, and it's liability issues. So it makes sense. 
Listen, if we can make a wooden roller coaster, I think we should be able to. We, we, we're not making more wooden, wooden roller coasters. People are yeah, risking their life on old wooden roller coasters. <laughs> That's a thrill. Not people, Jesse. <laughs> be specific. We're not making no more. <laughs> That's but what Derek? That's my point. That's a real thrill. That's no, that you survive something. In the gift shop after the rides, where it says like, "I survived the cyclone." You actually survived. That's this is something to comment. Yeah, mm. because they have a list of people who didn't survive too. That's how you know it's a good coaster. Oh. It's like you make one side of that list. So. It is interesting here in Orlando. Like every once in a while, you'll see the news where like somebody got decapitated on a roller coaster at one of the theme parks. Oh like, bro, why? Like that's the thing. I'm like, bro, that, that going fast is not that important. <laughs> That I could risk decapitation. Surviving is important. Like, no, every time yeah. somebody dies, it's because they were probably drunk, but they were they got out of the thing. Like in the middle of the ride, they climbed out of it and they were trying to do a stunt and then wham, they get whacked with a beam. You know what I mean? Like people oh, riding like normal. Oh my goodness. Well, that's not true. People riding like normal also have flown off. You know those spinny things well, that goes true. like up in the air. Now that I think about it. Normal people get thrown <laughs> off of roller coasters too. Like, yeah. bro. Well, I'm, I'm it's out. not a roller coaster. It also, I'm out. dude. It made the news that, like, you know those the spinny chair things that they hang by mm-hmm. the chains and then they, yeah. whatever. We have the world's tallest one on an iDrive, and uh, it was open for like two months, and it goes up like 400 feet, like you're spinning on a chair, mm-hmm. and then it comes back down. Anyway, turns out. Project story. High school football player kid. He was very large, like oh, three, yeah, four. I remember pounds. that story. They they didn't strap him in right because he was too large for the seat. And he goes out and it he flung off. He like flew to his death, oh. like like slingshot. Yeah, I remember it. And, uh, it's tragic. They said his friend said he looked yeah. at him his, like, "Tell my mama I love her." Ah, yeah, yeah. And, and like his parents found out on the news. Oh my god! Oh. I'd sue well, everyone he, here. No, they I, I did. Like th- they shut it down for two years because they were in lawsuits, and now it's back open I, again. So if you want to go, try it out. <laughs> I keep. Like, I would start I, a new lawsuit every I'm year. Okay. Here, here's here's how I compare it. Like roller coaster technology is a lot like shopping cart technology. It's either you're going totally old school with like the the one that is like the metal just woven basket mm-hmm. and and four wheels that all are have a mind of their own with that little plastic mm-hmm. you know yeah, handle that'll pinch you when yeah. it gets a little too you know the mm-hmm. screws get a little too loose or you get these new bougie ones that are you know looks like red like ferraris yeah, yeah and, and it's like no, no. Give me the old rickety one. I want to hear someone coming down the aisle. You why know what do, I mean? Why like, do you I wanna... want the rickety one? Why would you not like the one? <laughs> I, I love the new shopping yeah, cart. I'm, I'm like, this. They're, they're, no. they're so smooth. and I don't. Jesse, you're interesting, bro. Jesse, you are officially an 80-year-old man. <laughs> No, it's no, it's no. It, 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 because you just eat your sausages, complaining about all these newfangled rides. The kids it have to be honest. It, to put it keeps me honest. Look, it keeps me honest in the grocery store because I don't. I want to be lugging this thing around for minimal time. Like those new ones, it's so satisfying That's just smooth. glide it across yeah. that tile, that freshly mopped tile floor. I want the one that you know pushing it through. You get carpal tunnel pushing it through mm-hmm. the parking lot because your hands are rattling. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get to the parking spot that they. Keep Keep you honest. The, the worst, in my opinion, the worst shopping carts are at Costco because all four wheels are completely independent. Whereas yeah. like normal shopping carts, the back two wheels are fixed and the front two turn. 
Posco, all four of them turn. It's like you're on ice the entire time. Software engineering, guys. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, and at Costco, you're loaded down with a heaavy stuff. Uh-huh. You know, you're. That's the point of it. And like, and it's like they're trying to get you in and out. You know, they don't want you. They don't want you clogging up the aisles with their Fuji. You know, well, they should make it easier carts. to move their carts. Their carts are tough to move. Anyway, I'm. Yeah, whatever. All right. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to one of my heroes, Bob Goff. Uh, we talk about a lot. He's full of wisdom. But uh, we talk about focusing on the important things in this season. Um, also, how to live less distracted. It's a good conversation. Don't miss it. At the end of the show, we have your feedback. But stay tuned. Right now, up next, Relevant Buzz. Listening to Switchfoot, the song is California Christmas. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen season four. Episodes one through three of The Chosen season four are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for... Tell us what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture this week, Emily. Yeah, the first thing I want to talk about is a new documentary coming out next year called God and Country. And it's all about Christian nationalism. Woo! Um, Like for or against... Well, let's play a trailer real quick so you can hear it. Ah. We should be blazing forth as a countercultural example. And instead, we're leading the charge of malice and division. Christian nationalism uses Christianity as a means to an end. That end being some form of authoritarianism. Being a Christian is about the values of inclusion. Christian nationalism is certainly not based on the values of the gospel. God wants America to be saved. They're told over and over and over again that you're in danger. You need to fight if you don't want to lose your country. We are in a civil war between good and evil. This is not a movement about Christian values. This is about Christian power. What happens to the people who don't believe this stuff? Um, So yeah, obviously... It is against Christian nationalism. Um, it is a movie about sort of the rise of Christian nationalism and the impact that it's had both on America and Christianity in general. Uh, it's directed by a man named Dan Portland. And there's another name I want to talk about attached to the film, which is Rob Reiner. Uh, he's a he's signed on as an executive producer for the film. It came out that it was a Rob Reiner project. And like if Rob Reiner is doing a Christian nationalism documentary exposing the CD underbelly, and we're like, what? And then it'd find out, no, actually... It was a producer who used to be a executive at Pure Flix, and you know, it, it, and then now the, at the ninth, you know, eleventh hour, they brought him Rob Reiner to help with money. So mm. anyway, so it's not really a Rob Reiner project the way it was initially kind of presented, but mm-hmm. it still is interesting nonetheless that he even associated himself with 
a project that was pretty much finished, you know. So. I, I, I saw the trailer going around quite a bit on, on Twitter uh, in the last week or so. And dude, I was kind of following some of the dialogue that was happening around it. The, the thing that I kind of find most interesting isn't necessarily the topic, even though I do think the topic is interesting. It's how defensive I feel like both sides of the dialogue have seem seemed to be when like it, it seems like look what wh- what's the problem with having discourse about you know a controversial issue like why should anyone be offended mm-hmm. that a documentary that seems to be primarily concerned with talking to experts or or at least, you know subject matter experts like why is that inherently offensive to or, or if it were like if it was a documentary looking at like more liberal leaning, you know, uh, construction of, of yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. It, from a critical lens. Right. Like, why would that make someone who defends like the deconstruction process or maybe kind of more liberal areas of evangelicalism? Why is the default posture defensiveness not like engagement? Like, oh, cool, yeah. If 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 good ideas are good ideas, let's interrogate them and, and kind of see where things shake out. It, that was more interesting to me. Of like, guys, who can like. We should be able to live in a culture where people who make art and films and think about things can have sort of a critical response to cultural trends without the subject of those cultural trends being, you know, you know, dismissive or defensive instead of being like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like I said, if we believe we're right, then interrogate the ideas all you want. That, that was kind of, but you see it on both sides, you know, to me, the, the problem I have, well, I don't have a problem. I haven't, I haven't seen this, but to me, the problem I have with like the gotcha kind of documentaries, the Michael Moore, like I'm going to expose you kind of approach is you're preaching to your own choir because like, if you're wanting to open eyes and change minds about the problems with this worldview, Christian nationalism, things like that. And then I look at your trailer and you're just interviewing people who, you know, have one perspective on it. Uh, you know, if I'm, if I have a different perspective, if I'm a viewer that has a different perspective, I'm not going to watch it because I know your bias. And if I agree with you, I probably won't watch it because I already agree with you. So to me, it's just like, how can you, um, you know, talk about things like faith and politics actually is a gray area. Now, Christian nationalism at the extreme is not. But, you know, how should politics infuse your faith and how should your faith infuse politics? That is a gray area. So when I look at the clips and stuff and sound bites in this trailer, I'm just like, all right, I know where you're coming from. And and on both sides of the issue don't need to watch it. To me, I don't know. But 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 not everyone. But but I feel like there are fair voice. Like uh, Russell Moore's in there. David French is in there. Some very fair-minded individuals. I, all right, I'm trying to understand because I, maybe I'm I'm slow. So Christian, what is Christian nationalism? It's the idea that like. This is a Christian nation, a Christian nation and all the laws of this nation should be from a Christian value. Uh-huh. You know, so like God founded this nation uh-huh. to be a Christian nation. Therefore, all laws, all citizens need to follow the laws of God. And God is the moral authority over our country. Uh-huh. And so it's not democracy of, of thought and equality of thought. It's uh, does this law line up with the values of the Bible or not? And so we need to legislate our faith, legislate our Bible, put 
those moral boundaries on our society. That's Christian nationalism, essentially. But what? But but the other. But the I think there. It's also that's, okay. So that's what I thought it was. Okay, go ahead, Jesse. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. I think that's all accurate. But I would also say, just like anything, there's somewhat of a spectrum, right? right. Where there are people who think. Christian nationalism is Christian values should inform legislative policy on sort of the, the kind of more centrist end of the spectrum. But then on the further end of the spectrum, it's, well, uh, this is a theocracy that should be ruled strictly by Christian right. principles. If you are unchristian, we will enforce this by any means uh, necessary, including potential violence. Right. right. So like it's mm -hmm. a, I'm not I'm right. not saying everyone who uh, who who. Yeah. There's the extremes. Right. Like, yeah, there's the yeah, exactly. extreme atheist mm -hmm. and the extreme Christian nationalist. Like so we, we get it. Right? So I would yeah. I would just. I, I think Christian nationalism is a slippery slope that's highly problematic. I understand maybe at the genesis of it, the desire for Christians to have their voice and values be heard mm -hmm. in the in the legislative space. And, you know, we should participate in politics and all that kind of stuff. I would have appreciated. And again, I haven't seen this documentary. I would appreciate, though, like if there is a fair minded kind of third rail middle ground faith mindset that isn't the extreme on the left or the right. Third, where's the conversation that's going to cut through the noise and actually have both sides Consider it and watch it. But that, you know? I think that's because I don't need to watch you. I think that's the thing with it, media. I mean, that's propaganda. I'm sorry, but I think that I don't. That's pro not. It's not propaganda. That's just media in a sense because everybody <laughs> brings their own biases to whatever they build. Like even relevant right. has Cameron's bias, and it's <gasps> just a blessing that Cameron's bias isn't ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But we all, like, all of us are going to have our biases to you, to it. but maybe to other people it is, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. right. So, yeah. like, I, I think that this is just a discourse that we're on when you deal with media. Like, you, it's very yeah. rare that you're going to see something that is balanced at all in any sort of media. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. See, you know? the thing that I always tried to do with the magazine was was to stretch you. I wanted to put people in 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 the issue because in the body of Christ, it's many streams, but one river, in my opinion. Right. And there's things that we can all agree on. There's things that we're all going to disagree on. And 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 I'm kind of and the sad thing is we all think that our stream is right, exactly, 100 you know, right, exactly. and y'all's are 100 wrong. And I and to me that's just ludicrous. And so I, intentionally in every issue of the magazine for 20 years, we would have things that we would pull from the different streams. So we would have voices and people, teachers represented that you know, and you were like, oh, I love so and so. Mm -hmm. And then you'd flip the page and maybe there'd be a conversation with somebody you don't know because mm -hmm. they're from a different stream and we're talking about something, or maybe you heard about that person. And I thought that, I thought they were a heretic, but the, we had an intentional conversation with them about the things we can maybe agree on. So maybe like I see Judah Smith in the issue and I'm like, woohoo. And then I flip the page and there's a conversation with Brian McLaren, who I disagree with on a lot of his theology, but then he would talk about spiritual formation and prayer and contemplation and things that like were challenging and good. And I can adopt. And now all of a sudden we have an area of common right. ground. The Venn diagram right. just overlapped. And now it's unifying with bridges of understanding people who were in different areas that I would lob grenades at or point at and say, oh, no, they're whatever. It's like, well, no, I know that we don't disagree on everything because I read this thing, this conversation relevant. I'm trying to cut through the noise of what you just talked about. I hate the current media dynamic. Mm -hmm. It really shifted in 2016. Yeah. I won't get into why, but... Like after 2016, there was like no room for nuance. Right. There's no room for like 
Maybe I'll set down my biases and listen to your perspective and maybe learn something, maybe stretch, maybe have a little more empathy than I did. There's no room for that anymore and it kills me. So when I see a documentary like this, which is correctly calling out an opinion, a societal problem, in my opinion, I'm kind of like, I wish you would have drawn more people but, into the conversation by not being so clear with your bias mm, up front. Mm, I got you. But I will say this too. Here's the other th- challenge with it, with the idea of balance, especially with modern political discourse, because like some people's perception of balance, balance comes down to like the old, like equal time deal where it's like, talk to this side, this yeah. amount of time, talk to this side, but really balance. I like that era of media. <laughs> I do too, but I also feel like the idea of balance has shifted to equal opportunity, not equal time. And what I mean by that is like holding both sides to the same standard. So if you have one side that's advocating violence, right, then you can't act like another side that maybe has some minor legislative scandal. You can't act like that. Well, I covered the, the I covered the people advocating violence. So I now I have to cover this minor little scandal because it's from mm-hmm. another political perspective. There has to be a balance in the standard that that what constitutes coverage. And that's where it gets murky, in my opinion, because oftentimes those don't balance out. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. not all sort of grievance or uh, concern has equal moral weight. And that's, I think the moral weight should be where the balance is not necessarily in the time given to particular voices, but again, it gets murky. It's, 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 it's a very tough needle of thread. Yes. I think another important thing to remember too, is we've seen a two minute trailer of the whole film. So we all, it's like kind of the equivalent of, I read the headline, so I know what the article says. And it's like, <laughs> I, we we can probably make theories about what the what they're going to talk about and what the experts are going to say. But we could be pleasantly surprised by what some of these experts say and like the fair coverage they give. I do get your point of like, depending on who it is, we probably know which way they're going to lean. But mm-hmm. I, I noticed the discourse too online, uh, like you were talking about, Jesse, and it did really surprise me how opinionated people were about something that they had never seen. Right. Oh, that's and that yeah, like kind of just came into their life. That's twenty twenty. That's twenty twenty three. That's I mean that is just honestly I think it's just more prevalent. We see it clearer because we all are interconnected in such a crazy way. But people, humans have always been that way. Like we take a headline, we run yeah, off with yeah. it, and, and we get opinionated about what we believe something is as opposed to what something actually is. That's why I believe the Bible says, and all you're getting, get an understanding. I mean, that it's clear that during that time, it was the same wrestles, uh, the same issues. Only thing I would say with, with the Christian nationalism thing, maybe the reason why they didn't go grab any people that felt, because what you said about Christian nationalism is sounded more balanced than what, when I think Christian nationalism, what I think. So if you're thinking protests and riots, you see what I'm saying? So in my my mind, it would be the equivalent of us doing a a discourse on race and then inviting the Klan member in and saying, all right, now you tell your side of it. You know what I mean? So if you look at Christian nationalism as that level of extreme, it would be hard for you to bring in a a Klan's member to to talk about, let's talk about race today. You see what I'm saying? That is a great point. That is a great point. I think that's probably I I would never give platform to somebody on that far of an extreme. And and because, because I think if you were to rewind post 2016, you would look at a voice like Russell Moore, who is, you know, a major leader in, you know, at that time, the Southern Baptist convention as someone who probably aligns 
with, you know, in his views about the role that Christianity should play in all avenues of life as someone who would have, quote, quote, unquote, sort of like Christian nationalist belief that they believe that Christian, their Christian values should inform, like he was, he, he is and was relatively conservative. It hasn't been that his, he's changed. It's the line of what, what a Christian nationalist has changed. It's, it's went from, oh, we, because, because when, that's why I was like, I was confused when you were like, we should give, there should be both sides because in my mind, I'm like, well, why? But then also, that's why I needed your definition so I could understand. Because your definition of what Christian nationalism is doesn't line up with, I think, the average person. If you asked them what a Christian and the reason I gave you that credence, because I know your character. So I wanted you to be able to speak. But now I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, if I'm doing a documentary on that way, they probably are like. Because the line has been crazy, like that yeah, like we have pushed that thing to a whole other, like if somebody says yo this is a Christian nation I would love to hear why they believe that and let's sit down and have a conversation about it but when you see Christian nationalists all you think is January 6th you know like for the most part but like you know I, what I mean? even if I'm but if I'm making a documentary to a mainstream audience a Rob Reiner audience right. about Christian right. nationalism they don't those outsiders to this movement don't understand the movement. Mm. It looks foreign to them, like the KKK. It's like, what? how could anybody see the world that way? Mm. If I'm that filmmaker, I want somebody to come in and explain the moderate version of Christian nationalism to then I can understand how the, sl- how the slippery slope took it to an extreme place, but it started at a moderate place. So now I even, because right now I can't even wrap my head around that movement if I'm not part right. of it, right? It's like, why would anybody see the world that way? That's crazy. Well, how did it start? That maybe wasn't as crazy and it just became crazy in the last 10 years. I don't know. So again, I'll be interested to see how they handle it. Maybe they do that narrative. Maybe Russell Moore helps navigate that journey for the viewer. I don't know. But I I know they spoke to a few historians and journalists. So again, depending on who it is and what their coverage is, maybe they did give, like you said, that context that is that I do think agree is important. So when Derek, you heard me saying, I wish there wasn't just a, such an obvious bias in it, even though I'm against Christian nationalism, you know, I wish there was something more nuanced. You heard it through the lens of like, this is almost like a KKK documentary. Oh, yeah. And I'm saying, I wish we could have a more nuanced discussion yeah. about the KKK. Exactly. No, that is not what I was exactly. saying. Exactly. Like that. Thank yeah. you for asking yeah, me about like, that. Hold on. Wait a second. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to see what's going on here. You know what yeah. I'm okay. I appreciate you. I appreciate, <laughs> hey, if you, if what I said confused you, it confused some listeners. So no, 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 no. That is not what I was like, saying. I'm, try, I'm trying to put the, I'm trying to overlap the, the <laughs> the Venn diagram. <laughs> I was like, but but the thing is, that's the thing about now. We are in such a very sensationalist season that honestly, what you just yeah. said about him going and the word Christian nationalist is the equivalent of an extreme racist, biased, bigoted right. group. You don't go and do a you don't give that any favor regardless of how it started or you're yeah. going to get destroyed even if the even yeah. if it's factual you know what i mean even if it's factual you're going to get destroyed because we are in such a very sensitive time you know what i mean and i think that that's probably why i mean i'm thinking if i'm doing a documentary on it i don't i'm like man i don't do i want to leverage my 
my relationship and platform and 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 the ability i don't want to get canceled in a sense it's just that because that's what happens one thing you say hey let's look mm-hmm. at this in a factual way and then now everybody just wants to kill you you know it's just unfortunate this is this is totally random and i'm gonna derail the entire segment we here it. but do it it's too funny do not it. to i should say emily i should find you the clip but i follow i like to follow like I, I, I'm a very passive Twitter user, right? I, I'm just interested in the dialogue happening around faith. And I, and I tend to gravitate towards, look, it's how the algorithms are set up, like the more extreme sides. And so I kind of follow, there's a, there's a, a, a pastor who I think is just completely outrageous and uh, has, has wild ideas and would probably considers himself a Christian nationalist, this guy, Greg Locke. But for some reason, news about him will show up in my Twitter feed. Is Greg Locke the guy in uh, uh, Tennessee? National. Oh, yeah. The, that yeah, guy. yeah. The, tent, the tent guy. Yeah. But, but here's the thing is I also follow I so 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 I also follow like a lot of like weird conspiracy stuff, mostly have entertainment value, sure. not because I legitimately <laughs> sure. because I'm inter- I'm just Rawly entertained sure. by it, so I follow a lot of flat Earth accounts. If the authorities saw your Twitter feed, they would be very alarmed. You'd be flagged in the Dude, system. I'm probably being monitored as you speak. You're probably listening on this, so maybe this will give them. Like, maybe no, I'm this a journalist. Will... I'm watching as a journalist. No, well, I'm not even watching as a journalist. I'm watching because I think it's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I like funny things. But anyway, I saw. Yeah, I also. <laughs> I also saw, because I follow a lot of stuff, that he was hosting a Christian yes. flat earther at oh, his yes. church. Uh-huh. And they were going to have a debate on Sunday, uh, on a Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. And I literally, I was like, oh man. And they were going to live stream it. So I was like, dude, yeah. I I might cancel my <laughs> <laughs> Like the premise of this is such in the crosshairs of things that I just find like inappropriately. It's hilarious, a car wreck on the side is, of the road. Like I've got to see this. Uh, I got to uh, slow uh, down. And like literally, yeah. if I did, I had plans that night that I couldn't cancel. <laughs> like especially if I told my friends, like, "Hey, sorry, I can't come to your progressive dinner because I'm watching Greg Locke debate the flat earther on Twitter." Yeah. <laughs> that would not fly. Yeah, but I did. Yeah. So this is real talk. We go to church on Sunday morning and we it like I was parked. I drop we go. It's like in a, it's in a big building. Anyway, I, I drop my family off and, and I go park the car. But I remembered as I dropped them off at a few minutes, we were early that morning. They, for, we took some neighbor kids. They had to get signed up for Sunday school. Anyway, I had a few minutes in the car and I was like, dude, I wonder if there's a just just any any. It had gone off. the. They deleted the live stream <laughs> because <laughs> Greg Locke and the Flat Earther got in a shouting match on stage and it ended with Greg Locke yelling, turn his mic off, turn his mic off. The globe is a sphere. The globe is a sphere. And the guy throws his mic. And, and this is in front of a congregation full of people. Yeah, I know. And the, and the Flat Earther throws his mic. It's amazing. It, it was right. the great. It's one of my favorite clips. And he hey, stormed hey, out. Hey, they cut off his mic. He threw it, bro. and the guy walks off the stage in the middle thinking, of the event. There's top five things. Top five things. <laughs> oh when I say top gosh. five things, I could mean like, I, I, I could mean like, uh, uh, you know, the Red Sox winning the World <laughs> Series, like some historical inaugural address, landing on the moon. Yeah, it, that I could be physically present for, oh, okay. and just be in the room because oh, I love YouTube. awkwardness. 
and I love tension. Oh, dude. It's that so would be one. I would be front row, fist pumping <laughs> and cheering. And just, I, it would be like I'd be a WWE match. Oh, I would, I would, I, dude, it, no, it is Jesse, phenomenal. I saw it. I saw it being advertised and I generally thought like I could go to this if I wanted to because it's close to where I live. I would have. I would have. I, I really but I was like, I actually don't think I want to be seen at this flat earth. No, no, I thing. Wouldn't have cared. Like, the, the I authorities have cared. were there taking pictures of the crowd. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're getting exactly. added to a database. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Uh, I'm going to watch this when we get off of here. Yeah, let's play it right now. Here it is. We found it on YouTube. Here it is. <laughs> no, no, this you, is nonsense. You came up with your scriptures and gave your interpretation of them. I gave mine. I gave you the Bible interpretation. I gave you the Bible. Them. I gave more Bible than you did for a fact, right there. All right. Oh, really? That's a fact. Well, I'll tell you what. How about how about in your rebuttal, I'll keep my mouth shut and you tell me how wrong I was about your misapplication of the ring stamping no, 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 uh, yeah, in Job yeah. chapter thirty-eight. First of all, hello. Is it sunrise or not? Not. Not at all. I don't agree with you. Turn his mic off. Get out. Wow. You're a Bible denier. You're a Bible denier. You're a Bible denier. That is ridiculous. Bible denier. Just get out. Get the band up here. Woo! Let's worship the Lord. I ain't putting up with this nonsense no more. I gave you our platform. And y'all want to get up here with a bunch of nonsense. Come up here, band. Let's worship the Lord. We're going we're gonna to actually do something spiritual in this room tonight. Okay. That's as bad as you nonsense. described it. It was amazing. It, yeah. That, that's, this to me is it's far more interesting than Christian nationalism. Yeah, fact, <laughs> you know, it just a documentary, documentary about this event. I would rather, I would not even flat earth, just one about this event. But like the before, <laughs> the during, and the aftermath. I would. The problem with this event was a guy on the stage participating had the power to yell, cut his mic off. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. Because right. like, well, I've seen the debates between like creationists and evolutionists right. that a church might host, but they both were guests. And so nobody's. Nobody's got control over the other one on the stage. But that's what made it more fun. That's what I'm saying. Because... Get, this went off the rails because Greg Locke got worked up and but, put his foot so down. I will say that. Well, I'll say this too. Though, is it because Greg Locke was losing? That's the thing. Or were you getting smoked by a flat earther in your own church? Like, that's the question. Dude, he was. I watched because I went back after that morning in the church parking lot, yeah. like that afternoon. I was like, I got I to get full context. Yeah. And I feel like, look, man, if you're, here's the deal, right? If you're a flat earther and especially one, because they don't even, <laughs> don't ask how I know all this. They don't even call themselves flat earthers in that movie. They call themselves biblical cosmologists okay. because they yes. believe that their opinion is biblical, right? And they have scriptures that mention like the for firmament. Sure, yeah. and, I mean, I, I, know, I know them scriptures. I I was a flat earther for, for a season for sure. Now, now I don't even care. Or, or the corners of the, the, the corners of yeah. the earth, right? Like, you know, th they have like... They can biblically defend and they look up like the, the Greek or, or, or like the, the Hebrew text and all stuff. So you could tell Greg Locker is getting flustered uh -huh. up there to the point where I'm turning his mic off and it, it, it divulged into like a screen so match. But the kid who's losing the neighborhood pickup game was like, I'm going to take my ball yes. and go home. That was Greg Locke. And he but stormed it's a off game at his house. Yeah. He's getting cooked at his crib. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's his ball. It's his ball. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, give me my ball back. Go home. Not yeah. take your, but what it's done is in like, totally predict, predictable. 
now on all these flat earth accounts, they're sharing the clip and they're, they call him a globist. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> not a globalist, a not globist. a globalist, not like someone who's a globist, mm-hmm. like globist pastor melts down, uh, you know. Just the whole thing has been a delight to follow for the last week and a half. A documentary like, delight for me. Like you know how like there's documentaries where like it's like a band's farewell farewell show or like a comeback show, and it's like the whole the documentary of the process leading up to it, and it culminates at the big event. Like that's that's what mm-hmm. should have, they should have been document doing a documentary about this event. This would yes. be like a Christopher Guest movie. Yes. Anyway, the Jared, question what were you saying? I have for y'all, and man, we've been on this for a minute, but. The question I have for y'all is Good. Has humanity been this crazy or has technology just revealed our crazy? I I don't know the answer to that, but I've I've been at me and my friends have been talking about this all week. It's like did something break collectively and then or has it been like it's always been this way but we've been we've been so insulated because we can't talk to everybody that now we just get to see humanity in its butt naked form i think it's the latter and here's why like just imagine like Mm pre-internet right everyone had a couple people in their family that at the thanksgiving table you know had some crazy Mm -hmm. views and would tell anyone who listened Right, right? right Imagine if that person had a microphone and could shout over the, the Thanksgiving table the, during the whole dinner. That's what social media algorithms do. They, they intentionally, they intentionally propel voices that garner the most uh, reaction because that's what people are attracted to, whether positive or negative. It's not that it's just, it's, I would think the average member of the population is probably a pretty rational person, but the most irrational voices get the loudest, get the highest soapbox and it draws more people to them. But I don't think at their core, people have gotten crazier. Well, the social, uh, the silent majority has always been the case, right? But I think, I don't know that I fully, I don't, it's a nature versus nurture conversation. Mm. You know, it's like, is humanity always been like this? Is this how we are? Or did our environment or our access to information or whatever nurture this trait in us? Yes, I agree with you, Jesse, that the algorithm amplifies the most extreme voices. But 20 years ago, your uncle who might've had a proclivity toward conspiracy thoughts wouldn't have had access to learn about or hear about or get sucked into very many conspiracies other than maybe like the school board conspiracy in his local town, you know, whatever. Now he has access to 4chan and all these crazy places and he can go deep. And now that has changed him. It changed his mind. He goes further. He's crazier now. So I think the environment that we are in the access, we have to information as well has made things worse than they were in the past. It's not just everybody's been crazy and now they just have a microphone. It's like, I think we're hearing things and we're being affected by things that we wouldn't have been affected by without social media and YouTube. So think, so think about this. So I think it's about Think about this. 2016, we're what, seven years away. That's all, we're almost a decade away from where we say was kind of like the, the, the tipping point, tipping right? Point. So... There are kids that heard Crazy Uncle seven years ago, and they're, they've been for seven years indoctrinated at, at impressionable ages with, without, because yeah. we know this, it, t- it takes an expert. Everybody. It takes an expert as well to filter through what's true and what isn't true on the internet. Because we, like you said, right. popularity doesn't always add up to truth. Yeah. Like there's people that's popular that are spewing things that we know 
unequivocally this is wrong, right? But they're popular right. and they're able to they're, they're great, they have great charisma, so they're able to to stay in that seat of power and and convince people to their side. So it, I, I know I don't know. I'm still on the I I feel what you're saying too at the same time though. Maybe those voices are just really 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 loud and people are more you know, just engaged, but they're not necessarily influenced being influenced, yeah. right? So the question is, are are they being influenced? I think is the is the big question. I mean, I think we can see with certain political movements that a, a, what would have been a normal suburban soccer mom now is out there at a rally with conspiracy theory t shirts and like really believing Waiting on JFK Jr. being trafficked this way, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think. She got sucked into mm. it. Maybe she had a proclivity to it, but she wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have access to any of that 10 years ago, you know, 20. But, but to be fair, to be fair, is it like even before social media, there was mass media where a handful of voices controlled. And this isn't, this is me trying to, you know, to degree play devil's advocate, but like, you know, there were large media institutions that largely dictated what people believed about certain events, right? It, they were the only kind of expert voices. So if you look at it from the other side to say, well, what if there I can point to X, Y, and Z of them lying and causing the masses to believe lies? What's wrong with me questioning right. the quote Everything. unquote truth? Yeah. Exactly. So like, to, to be fair to the other side, there are examples of that, right? Yeah, where, no, where for sure. And, and so, yeah, it's it's tough. It, it's a slippery it's, slope. It's, like it starts with a couple yeah. of things of like logical and moral holes where you say, hey, 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 that's not right. It, We're it, being fed it, a line. It, it, and then you just start to now not trust anything you're hearing. And now it just it's slippery slope. And then you put an accelerant on it, something like a mass pandemic where yeah. the, the facts of the origins of the treatment of prevention methods. Right. Yep. Are constantly change as understanding about it shifts and it creates, you know, it, that's just an accelerant to both sides where, where, where this kind of distrust of either the collective voice or the, the you know, the voice of authority, the Illuminati. If you have skepticism of e either, you're going to be more deeply entrenched, you know? True. All right. We really got to wrap this up. So, Emily, the last two things super fast. Tell us what else is going on and let's get out of this in two minutes. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, sort of going along that line, uh, Meta is uh, introducing a fact-checking system to Threads, um, an in-house one. The reason this is big is because right now they've been using a third-party one, and we saw how the 2016 and 2020 presidential election spread a lot of misinformation. So they're trying to get ahead of it for the 2024 election, which, yes, next year is an election year, in case anyone didn't realize it. <laughs> I can't believe that we're here again. The Threads is getting ready. So I, I, we found this really interesting because X, obviously... Are people still on Threads? Well, they're still trying to make it a thing. Well, the, here's the thing. It's like they keep making it better and better and better. They keep adding features and forming communities and hashtags and whatever. It was very bare bones when they launched it. They, I think they rushed it because they saw a little opportunity for people wanting to leave you know, Twitter. Um, but it wasn't ready. It was half baked, mm. but they keep baking it and it's gotten really good. And they, this is just yet another thing where they are trying to make a very starkly different community than what's happening over on X, which is, you know, Madness. cesspool now. <laughs> now <laughs> Threads is going, Hey, listen, <laughs> yeah. you come here, we're going to, we have human fact checking teams. We're going to have these things in place. He's to, to protect the discourse, you know, whatever. And we think that that's maybe a great example that we should, 
not forget about that there is an alternative there there are alternatives emerging to uh what is happening over on x so and i think it's cool. good right. because so many so many people get do get their information from social media and with truly the death of twitter happening a lot of people are like well where do i get information and yeah. you know they don't know they can just go to a new site but if they don't know that they can go to threads which hopefully is doing their job to i used to not I only spread information read- the only thing I ever do on next is basketball. I follow basketball people and comedians. That's all I do. That's it. It's fun. Uh, really sick of these ads that they're putting everywhere. But other than that, like it's decent so content. Annoying. Well, guess what? I didn't like threads because there was no basketball coverage over there. They just started NBA threads last week. And there's all these, you know, Woj and everybody's now over on threads and like oh, teams late. are going over threads. And, and I'm getting my basketball stuff, my fix over on threads now. So I have gone on Twitter less and less over the last couple of weeks. So I'm enjoying that. Anyway. All right. What's the last thing? Let's wrap it up. Uh, last thing. Have y'all heard the new Nicki Minaj collaboration with Tasha Cobbs Leonard? She has a new one. Yeah, she has a new one. So last Friday, Nikki this dropped. Is, this pink- is say running it back. All right, let's get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They dropped it last Friday. So Nikki put out Pink Friday 2, which was like the sequel to her big debut album. Um, it's gotten some mixed reviews from the Barbs, and that's all I'm going to say on it because the Barbs scare me. But uh, I do want to talk about her song with Tasha, which is called Blessings, uh, which we have right here. Um, yeah, and like we said, it's the second time they've collaborated, but always interesting to get a Tasha and Nicki Minaj song. I think it's funny because the first collab was on Tasha Cobb's Leonard album, and it's like a worshipy gospel album. And I was listening to it on the way to church with Cohen a few months ago, and all of a sudden, like, Nicki Minaj comes and drops a verse. It was, which yeah, even thematically had nothing to do with the song. It was like, it was just a typical Nicki Minaj verse, just mm. crammed in the middle of a Tasha Cobbs Leonard album. Well, not a typical a, Nicki Minaj. Yeah, yeah, verse. yeah. Not typical, but it was a cleaned up <laughs> version, but it was supposed to be about faith in Jesus. And all she was like talking about is, you know, this one's the opposite. This is the Nicki album, and Tasha comes in and is on the song Blessing. So there you go. We'd love to see it. Okay, that'll do it for. Relevant Stay tuned up next. Bob Goff joins us. You're listening to Forrest Frank. The song is Till Christmas Day. Well, Relevant has a lot happening this year, and we don't want you to miss a thing. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter right there on the front page at relevantmagazine.com, and we'll send you our top five trending stories sent to your inbox every weekday. We'll also send you a weekly uh, podcast newsletter with the latest episodes, some uh, fan extras, and first peeks at the new shows that we're going to be rolling out throughout this year. Make sure to sign up. It's the best way to keep in touch with everything we got going on. Well, our guest today is none other than Bob Goff. He's an author. He's a former lawyer. He's, if Jesus and Santa Claus 
combined somehow. That's who he is. With the busy holiday season in full swing, we know how difficult it can be to focus on what's really important this time of year. So we want to talk to him uh, to figure out how we can live a less distracted life and how we can always have hope and optimism in every season. Here's our conversation, Bob Goff. Well, during this year, I think a lot of people can just feel really overwhelmed thinking about their busy schedule and, you know, doing all these little last minute tasks. Uh, And it just leaves us feeling really distracted or unfocused on the things that we actually want to think about during this time of year. Do you have any tips on how we can be less distracted during this season? Yeah, first, you got to catch up to where you were. Like, uh, oh, this is what I mean. Uh, we've got a place uh, up in Canada, 10,000 square miles to our nearest neighbor. It's in the bush. And so we'll be gone for a day or a week or with all the crazy that's happened, like a year. Uh, and before we leave, the last thing we do, we take a plastic cup, we fill it with water and freeze it. We put a penny on top. And we put it back in the freezer. And then when we come back a week or a month or six months later, if the penny's on the bottom and it's frozen, you know what happened when you were gone. (laughs) It thawed out, right? You think you're getting a T-bone, you're actually getting a toxin. Uh, And so what I want us to do is figure out what happened while you were gone. So if uh, this uh, period of time with COVID was so difficult, for so many um, to say when I kind of checked out emotionally or uh, even physically from colleagues, what happened while I was gone? Like to really like not just say, oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh, there's actually more to that. Um, so not be in a hurry all the time to to just get to the next thing, to slow it down a little bit. And again, I make coffee nervous. I'm like, I'm always on the move. Um, But I'm trying to just slow it down a little bit and say, when I just kind of checked out of a relationship or I checked out of something that was causing me a lot of stress, like what happened while I was gone? Because I'm kind of, I just want to kind of check back in on that. Say, what's up? If the penny's at the bottom, uh, just say, what happened? Um, and then figure that out and just say, like, is there a way I can recreate something more beautiful out of that? Uh, is this a, a remodel or a teardown? Um, and then just figure out what's your next move. What's the next courageous move? And uh, always moving towards authenticity. Um, so if you're fun and I am fun, uh, you can uh, trend towards being the fun guy. Uh, and what I want to trend towards is being the authentic guy. Like the, in, you have to be self-aware to know like what's going on. Uh, what did I miss when I started, stopped impressing people by whatever, insert here, whatever you think is impressive. Um, and then just get real and just actually show up, not as a caricature of yourself, but actually as yourself. You know, I think someone could hear your response and immediately think, well, that sounds great, but you don't know my life because I have two jobs or three kids or, you know, whatever you want to fill the blank in with. What do you say to the person who has been feeling distracted with every area of life? Yeah, I would say uh, first, well done. Like it sounds like you've taken a deep dive if you have and you realize your circumstance or at least your perceived circumstance. Like so, but I would say, can you dig a little bit deeper? Uh, I want to be a more archaeologist uh, than observer. I want to say, hey, well, I wonder why and what would be some things that might free you up from that thing? What are some stories you made up about what is true in your life? And are they, uh, is it actually true? Um, is it a actual impediment or is it a perceived impediment? Gravity is an actual impediment. 
Like you can't jump to the moon. Well, you could, but most people can't jump to the moon. There's this thing called gravity. It's just a thing. Um, but a perceived impediment is that I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough whatever. And indeed, you might not. That may be, you may be spot on. And if you are, well done. Like you've really done some deep. But if you're flying over that thing like a U-2 spy plane and just say, I'm just way too busy. Ah, oh, this is impossible for me. I would just say, can we go a little bit more crop duster? Can we get down over the weeds a little bit and see, like, with a, look a little bit closer and say, you know, is some, I know that's the messaging I've given to myself. And is it really true? And maybe the answer is it's really true. Um, but what I found is some of the things I was certain of weren't actually true. Uh, I thought they were certain of because I had it had been 100 percent of my experience, um, but it actually wasn't true in my life. And so I'm not saying to that person, uh, hey, you're wrong. Just be happy. Get a, you know, have a have some cotton candy and it'll be all ready. Uh, everything's going to be great. But instead, I would say, just take a hard look. And sometimes that involves bringing in a counselor, a trusted friend at Starbucks who will pay. Um, find somebody in uh, safe people in your life to just say, man, I'm feeling all alone right now. The fact is that you're not all alone because I am here. <laughs> here I am. Uh, but to just say, uh, I, but that feeling could be very real. Um, and to say, when was the last time you didn't feel alone? Like if you lose your keys, you think, where was the last place I saw those things? So if you're feeling uh, hopeless, just say, when was the last time I felt hopeful? And I would just go return to the scene of the crime. I would just say, like, what was it that made the change between then and now? And just kind of retrace your steps. And then, again, if you need some help in doing that, there's some really great people that have initials behind their name. I'm not one of them, but to find people that are actually really good at that. If there's some trauma that you've experienced, like, man, there's so many resources that are out there and say, but I can't afford it. I'm like, I don't know. I'd make the call. Maybe you can, because the world is full of people who are really generous. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That's such a, like a graceful way to approach life and just think about the world that we're in. Um, you know, as we're reflecting on this year, I did want to ask you, this year has had its fair share of high and low points. And I'm curious, as someone who's been all over the world working with different causes, is it ever difficult for you to maintain your sense of hope and optimism? Because it seems like in spite of all the things that you've seen firsthand, you haven't become cynical or angry like other people have. Oh, I love that you uh, talked about that idea of cynicism uh, because a new cynic will say like, you know, oh, Southwest Airlines, yeah, whatever. Or they'll roll their eyes and say, it'll never work. That's a new cynic. But the old cynics, those guys were bosses. They lived actually apart from society a little bit. They made their own clothes. <laughs> I have a friend. I think we both know him. He makes his own clothes and it looks like it. And so what I want to do is be like old school cynic. A guy, Diosthenes, was one of the founders of cynicism. And he lived in a jar. Is that crazy? A big water jar. It was huge. Uh, and he would walk through Athens every day with a lantern at high noon. And the lantern was lit. And they'd be like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> What's going on? And they said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for virtue. 
And so what I want to do when I think about the difficulties and the setbacks that other people have experienced and loved ones and people that you care for in other countries and across the street, um, I just want to look for virtue in there. But not just like yippy skippy, like skipping over the pain of that, but to say, is there... Uh, can I focus a little bit more on my character and a little bit less on my career? Can I focus on some things that will outlast me? The definition of faith that uh, resonates with me is in Hebrews 11. 1, it says, faith is confidence of what you're hoping for and assurance of what you haven't seen yet. And so what I want to do is know what I'm hoping for. Uh, as I do like kind of a roll call in these different countries, what am I hoping for will happen in Mogadishu? What am I happen? There And then to say, is there something I can do to move the needle in that? Is it a call? Is it a visit? Is it a whatever? And to just say, be strategic. But it's strategic whimsy. Like, it's not just all whimsy. It's not just all strategy. It's to look anticipating that you're going to find some new stuff about yourself. You'll find out more about your faith. If faith is guiding your steps, you'll find more about a couple friends that you bring along. But living with that kind of anticipation, I think gets me like not mired in the sadness of things that are going on. And I mean, I got gears. I've tried death penalty cases against witch doctors. I've got gears. Um, but there's a, a kind of a no-fly zone over hurting kids. Um, but there ought to be like a no-fly zone over many things. And to say, well, if it's something that's important to me, what could I do to be a participant rather than an observer? Uh, and you can't participate in everything, but you can participate in something. So just find your thing to say, is there a way to on-ramp that to see? Uh, do I have an ambition to help somebody out in these ways? Then do I have an opportunity? Think of it like a X axis and Y axis and where the X and the Y meet, where the ambition, and the opportunity makes, make the, take the shot, like do it, buy the ticket, make the pie, like whatever it is to say, but if your head's on a swivel looking for the opportunity, uh, then you won't be distracted by all the crazy things that's trying to steal you away from the moment. Because uh, I'm telling you this, I don't see the devil around every corner, but if I was all of evil, I wouldn't want to destroy you because that'd be one and done. I'd want to distract you because then you, I just, I, I get your Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And then if you're distracted, everybody you love is distracted because they're distracted about how distracted you are and all the wacky things you're doing to deal with your like insecurities. I want to do this Jedi thing over everybody and say, you are not the average of the three most insecure people you know right now. <laughs> so, you don't need to average out all of their insecurities. That's a distraction. That was Bob Goff. Make sure to go check out all of his books. Follow him on social. Go to one of his seminars. Go visit the Oaks. There's so much the guy is doing that will impact your life. All right. Stay tuned. Up next, your feedback. Listen to Grant Perez. The song is When Christmas Comes Again.
Today's show is brought to you in part by The Chosen. Season four of The Chosen is coming to theaters nationwide on February 1st, and this season has everything. Clashing kingdoms, rival rulers, and when they're threatened by the reality of Jesus' growing influence, religious leaders do the unthinkable, choose to ally themselves with the Romans. As the seeds of betrayal are planted in opposition to Jesus' message turns violent, he's left with no alternative but to demand his followers rise up. So get ready, Relevant Podcast listeners. February 1st is the big release day. Go get your tickets now at thechosenriseup.com. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, uh, we asked you, we were talking about Christmas music because we debuted our annual tradition, a very relevant Christmas uh, playlist over on Spotify. And it started last week with 350 songs and now has 450 songs on it. If you haven't gone subscribed, go look it up on Spotify. It's great. Um, 450 songs. It's the only soundtrack you need for the season. Uh, anyway, it got us talking about Christmas music and we asked you what your least favorite Christmas songs of all time are. You hit us up over on X at relevant podcast and other, uh, places where we posted this question as well. Here's our favorites. Anthony Reese says, uh, he can't stand Justin Bieber's mistletoe, mistletoe song. And he says, unfortunately, my girlfriend loves it. Here's a clip. I should be playing in the winter snow, but I'm a bee under the mistletoe. Okay, here's uh, Anthony. I feel your pain because there was no Justin Bieber on a very relevant Christmas. <laughs> but our very own Downtown and Only Brown said, I, we don't. We need. We need to have mistletoe. We need to add it. And I said, okay. Ironically, to. I'll stick it in the middle of there. So there is that song on a very early Christmas, but we put it on there. Ironically, uh, totally ironically. <laughs> but your girlfriend won't know it. Okay. So anyway, hmm. yeah, I'm not a fan. Um, let's see. I'm going with uh, Rebecca Clark. She said, "I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. It was too much for me to handle as a kid and also as an adult. And I heard that song one time." And I never heard it again because I feel the That's exact same way. It's very it seems relatively wholesome. No, it's not. It seemed, it, it's totally wholesome. Daddy's dressed up as Santa Claus and he's doing the tree, the presents on the tree, and she kisses him. Yeah. But like when you're a kid and you still believe in Santa, it is a yeah, lot. You think mom's like, having an affair? You think? Yeah. Mom's why cheating is mom on cheating on dad with Santa? Fair point. That is a fair point. <laughs> Lindsay. Lindsay Chow said, uh, do they know it's Christmas? It has to be the dumbest song. Of course they know. Why else would they be singing? That is a very hey, fair hey. point. Like, <laughs> job, Lindsay. Are, are you making fun of me? If, you know, we, there's, there are decorations everywhere. We're singing a Christmas carol as we speak. Of course I know. Um, Aaron said his number one answer is Christmas shoes. I actually didn't know this song existed, thankfully, for a really long time. And then you lived a blessed I life. I think my first Christmas working at Relevant, someone mentioned it because we were talking about bad songs. Yeah. I am shocked it ever got made. What? It is, it is the it. worst Christmas song. Is it? Here it is. You see, she's been sick for quite a while, and know these shoes will make. One or two look beautiful 
Dude, the whole song is about this little kid is trying to buy a pair of shoes for his mom for Christmas because she's dying of cancer. Oh, my. The whole song is just totally sad. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. That's that's like mommy's dying. She always wanted those shoes. I save up to go get the shoes and then she died. It really brings the mood down. mm, That's a rough one. It's like, no, thank you. Yeah. Well, congratulations, baby Jesus. Enjoy your birthday. (laughs) All right. There's more where that came from. Go check it out over on Relevant Podcast account. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Okay, this is you see, dear listener, you think you know what we're going to do right now. You think, ah, it's leading up, it's Christmas week. Like, they're going to ask us another, like, what's your favorite present? No. No. That's not what we want to know from you. Jesse told the story at the beginning of this show of going on a roller coaster after eating questionable sausages. Questionable. That was the dumbest meal decision he could have done because of his proclivity for motion sickness from time to time. It was a sampler. We want to know for this week's question of the week, what is the most questionable meal you've ever eaten? The most questionable food you've ever eaten. Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, or you can hit us up at Relevant mm. Magazine. On I got a few. Questionable meals. I yeah. got a few. Most questionable is chitlins. Oh, yeah. That is the most questionable meal anyone in the plant on the planet could eat. There's a lot of Southern food that you don't want yes. to think about the ingredients. Yes. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. I had gator once. It wasn't bad. It was chewy. Mm. Yeah, gator's good. Like Not a good. Gamey, gamey chicken. <laughs> yeah. Chewy, chewy, chewy chicken. chicken is just, that's, that's crazy. Well, before we wrap things up, uh, I want to thank my hero, Bob Goff, for joining us. Um, like I said, make sure to check out his books. Hey, maybe give one for a Christmas gift or something. Change, change a life <laughs> this holiday season. Uh, and follow him on socials and all the other stuff he's doing. Um, also, before we wrap it up, make sure to check out our our very relevant Christmas Spotify playlist. We updated it. We, we do this every year. This year, 450 songs. Basically, it's your background music for the next week and a half. Uh, go check it out. Very relevant Christmas over on Spotify. Also, make sure to visit relevantmagazine.com every weekday where we are covering the intersection of faith, culture, and everything in between. All right. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Derek Miner. I'm Emily Brown. We'll see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts browse the shows on the relevant podcast network which you can find at our site and while you're there don't miss the all-new era of relevant magazine a new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com get the band up here let's worship the lord i ain't putting over this nonsense
Relevant Podcast Network.